to Lords of Order, a DC's Dr. Fate fan podcast. I'm your host, Ed Moore. There will be spoilers today. I can be reached at Teal Productions on Twitter, T-E-A-L. On Facebook, Lords of Order has a Facebook page. The Dr. Fate fan podcast at gmail.com is the email, and bigtimenoise.com slash Dr. Fate is the website. Showcase, the 1956 volume. Issue 56 is the book, cover dated May-June 1965. Perils of the Psycho Pirate is the story, scripted for us by Gardner Fox, penciled and inked by Murphy Anderson, colored by, yes, unknown, lettered by Gaspar Saladino. Now, the reprint of this issue can be found in Crisis on Multiple Earths, The Team-Ups, from 2005, number one. DC comic. On the cover, we have, hold on a minute, let me open it or flip it back over here. On the cover, we have Dr. Fate on the left, Our Man on the right, and the Psycho Pirate surrounded by Medusa masks as he is attempting to exert emotional control over our heroes. Inside, we see the Psycho Pirate holding Medusa masks and Our Man and Dr. Fate on the first page fighting each other um, uh, analog, manually, without their powers, however the best way to put it is. Perils of the Psycho Pirate, again, is the name of our story. The story itself opens with Kent and Inza excavating a tell somewhere in, let's see, I thought they told us, yes, Asia Minor, and a tell is a large mound, the narrator tells. She tells Kent, why don't you do something, you know, whatever, cool us off somehow or speed this up somehow or something. And he says, nope, I swore that I would never use my magical powers, my superpowers for personal gain. I am on the ground as Kent Nelson, digging as Kent Nelson, and I will succeed as Kent Nelson. That's not what he says. That's just my interpretation. He keeps digging until he breaks through the wall here between him and something. And he crawls through and finds that it is a hidden chamber containing the Medusa mask, uh, the ba- which which are the basis for the old legend that anyone who gazed on the face of the Medusa was turned to stone, Kent, Kent tells her. Just as in the story of Cinderella, the word ver was thought to mean glass when it actually meant fur. So turned to stone stood for words that could be translated as overcome with emotions, he says as he pulls a couple of the masks off the wall and is holding them up. Two, four, six, eight, ten, twelve masks here we see in the uh, portion of the tell that he dug out. Kent and Enza are returning to North America, and we find that Rex Taylor was the one who fiscally backed this most recent expedition that Kent has undergone. At some point in the future, there is a party at the house of Rex Tyler, the president owner of Tyler Chemical Company. And this is the same Tyler Chemical Company that dumps radioactive waste from their chronograph into savage swamps on the outskirts of Metropolis. Just talked about that. I I still can't get over that that's what they do with radioactive waste. They just dump it into a nearby swamp, uh, which, as you can see, uh, caused much problem with the origin of Solomon Grundy. So Tyler introduces Kent and Inza to his fiancée. And let's see, Wendy Harris, W-E-N-D-I. Harris. She's looking around. She comes across these masks, but is overcome when someone irradiates one of the masks with a particular kind of radioactive gas, thus causing the mask to do what it is supposed to do, and that is project um, 
psychological waves or energy waves. I guess we'll, we'll go with energy waves that causes a person who is struck by those waves to emote, think, act in a way matching the visage of the mask. So if the mask is happy, the person will laugh uncontrollably. If it's angry, they will become infuriated. Uh, whatever the mask is, actually, it's not just what the mask is. It's heightened many times over what the mask is supposed to represent. So this particular mask is desire. So suddenly she, Wendy, uh, as she had been looking at the mask, has this desire to possess them. So she goes about stealing all of them when Rick comes upon her. Did I say Rick? Actually, that's Rex. Rick uh, will turn out to be his son, but Rex... Um, catches her, but before he can stop her, this unknown person uh, turns on, engages another one of the masks, and causes everyone but Wendy to erupt with laughter, as this mask is a laughing mask. And they're all applauding and uh, extolling her. Bravo, bravo, they're yelling, and she manages to run out the front door. Well, soon after this mask, um, I guess it's irradiated and it emits this energy for just a period of time, and then it ceases as it's no longer irradiated by... Uh, the gas by radiation of whatever nature. So the effect stop. Um, the people stop acting in whatever manner that is. Rex realizes that he was attempting to stop Wendy. He remembers what it was she did, and he tells Kent um, and Enza what was going on, and they all run outside the his, his house. And standing in the driveway is Wendy, exclaiming, I, I don't know, uh, in response to them yelling, you know, where are you? What did you do? Whatever, whatever. She she now has no recollection. She says, I could just die. I don't know what possessed me to steal those masks. I was so, so greedy. And then when I ran out of the building, dot, 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 we see in her recollection that the, she turned the masks over to a beggar. Um, is all that he is described as. So I'm not really sure. I mean, I have images in my own head of what a beggar is. This guy really doesn't look like a beggar. He just looks like a dressed kind of more thuggish than beggar, beggarish. So Kent and Rex decide that they will continue pursuing this matter uh, under the guises of Dr. Fate and Man. So they basically they're agreeing to ditch the women and head out in their colorful uniform. Kent goes back to the Tower of Fate, consults his um, spy, his uh, crystal ball, looking for the masks, but for some reason the masks aren't registering. We then cut to a seacoast mansion that is home to Roger Hayden, who calls himself the Psycho Pirate. And we see here next to him are the masks stacked up on a table uh, with a... Maybe a, a place here on the wall on which he's going to hang them all. I don't know. It's a big framed uh, blank piece that looks like maybe it's covered in velvet, you know, like a backing. But we, the, the story takes us to prison uh, at some months before current. And Roger is talking to a cellmate of his who's dying, who is the original Psycho Pirate. And we find out that the first appearance of said Psycho Pirate, the old dude, was in All-Star Comics 23, winter issue 1944. So it looks like this book may actually be the origin of the current Psycho Pirate, who is uh, somebody that I've always liked. I, I thought he had kind of a cool power. But he, the old guy who's dying tells him of the Medusa masks and theorizes you know, that they were the true power behind whatever, whatever. He's just, it's kind of drifting away in, into the ether. Roger Hayden is released from prison and we see him on a street corner leaning up against a uh, lamppost, reading a newspaper, learning about the 
masks going on display at Rex Tyler's place. Three, six, nine, twelve. Okay, so Psycho Pirate is hanging up twelve masks, which is the same number that they had drawn um, in the crypt that Kent found. Now for the great experiment, he says. Um, and as Roger stares up at those oriate dominoes, the face of the psycho pirate undergoes a number of weird changes, one by one. Envy, hate, fear, greed, pride, despair, conceit, and other emotions. So that's six of them. Stamp themselves indelibly on his features. And we see uh, a series of panels. There is the mask, and then juxtaposed and off to the side a little bit is the psycho pirate with his face. And you can see that his face is matching that of the mask. Late the following afternoon, just before closing time, Roger Hayden enters a Gotham City bank. So he's testing the mask. He, What he does now is the, the mask, somehow he um, is a transmitter of these energies that the masks give off. And by waving his hand in front of his face, as you have seen actors portray, they, they change their visage as they pass their hand in front of them. He changes his the demeanor of his face, and then the emotion that that quote-unquote mask is supposed to emote in you radiates from him and affects everyone within a certain vicinity with emotions that are related to that face. So he can change like the, the emotional energies that he radiates by waving his hand in front of his face and changing his face. Um, I think it was Crisis on Infinite Earth, maybe, is where I first really saw Psycho Pirate and became enamored with his ability to, to use his powers in that way. That just came to mind here as I'm sitting looking at this particular panel. I'm not sure. Somebody correct me if I'm wrong if he was not in Crisis, but I think that's where it was. A wave of that intense curiosity, that's the face that he has. I'm not sure really what a curious face looks like, but this is the one Roger has. Uh, a wave of that intense, intense curiosity sweeps across the bank as tellers and officials join customers about the newspaper. He had a newspaper, and he's directing their curiosity at the paper. So now everybody is fighting over each other to look at, to read this newspaper. And while they are occupied, Roger steps out and opens the door for the rest of his gang. They have been treated uh, with something, I believe it turns out, doesn't tell us here. It tells us a little later. I think it tells us later. Uh, they have taken a, like a pill uh, that protects them from the effects of whatever this kind of weird energy is. I don't know if it's psionic or, or what exactly it is. Here it's not really explained other than, I think, magic so there we go. Much like Dr. Fate himself. So Dr. Fate, in scrying through his, his crystal ball, uh, he was not able to see the masks, but he can see that this funky stuff is occurring at the bank. So it rouses his curiosity, and he fixates on Roger because he sees that Roger has this kind of odd look on his face, which we understand what that is. But I guess if you're viewing remotely and unable to zoom in really close, uh, perhaps, you, you can't really tell. So Dr. Fate goes to investigate, crashes into the vault where the thugs are, and starts taking them out one by one in various panels of uh, much, much action here. Uh, do want to note that this Dr. Fate is wearing the full mask uh, as well as previously uh, I spoke on last episode. Not the half mask that was the last mask that I saw, I believe, that he had, that I talked about on the show. So 
um, I guess this full mask is what we're going to go on with for a while. The uh, first meeting of the JLA-JSA, he had the first mask on too. So interestingly enough, I'm not sure how chronologically that would appear after all of his Golden Age appearances when by the end of the Golden Age, he had a half mask. But in subsequent contemporary appearances that are supposed to have occurred in the Golden Age, he has a full mask on. <laughs> I'm not sure how those rectify against each other. Nonetheless, Dr. Fate now, having subdued the thugs, faces Roger. And Roger, with a wave of his hand, changes his face from curiosity to pride to frustration. And the pride and frustration are geared at Dr. Fate. He has pride, so he is thinking back on all of his previous cases. And he has frustration because Wotan is one of those previous cases, and now Wotan has popped up, quote-unquote, in real life before him. So Wotan and Dr. Fate are fighting each other. Wotan is a sorceress, a demi Demon, perhaps? Uh, alien? It depends on the origin that you dig into. Early, early foe of uh, Kent Nelson, Dr. Fate. Then uh, he dispatches Wotan and ump, ump, excuse me, up jumps Mayur, M-A-Y-O-O-R, the mage of the Yucatan jungle. So he starts fighting against Fate and he actually beats him. Fate has to actually expel some of his magical energies to extract himself from the predicament that Mayur put him in. And at, after using his energies, I guess using his magic kind of breaks the quote-unquote spell, and he realizes now that he is in the vault by himself. All of the thugs that he beat up and Roger um, have left Psycho Pirate, and he's there by himself. We cut away. We go to Chapter 2, and we are at Rex Tyler's house, I suppose, is where this is. Uh, he has changed into Hourman. We find that the hourglass that he wears around his neck, uh, much like a necklace, is actually a tool that he uses. It, it will rotate, and so once he takes his Miraclo pill, he turns that medallion that is actually an hourglass, and he can refer to it and get a rough estimate on how much time he has left. Before, because uh, for those of you that may be new, Rex Tyler gains powers by the um, consuming of this pill ingestion, um, and the the pill is a creation of his, and it gives him super whatever strength, speed. He can jump high uh, unto flying, much like Marvel's Hulk does. Some other, uh, basically, it's a MacGuffin that gives him, within some reason, whatever super ability he needs to accomplish what he's trying to accomplish. Uh, Two drawbacks, though. The pill only lasts for an hour, so he is the man of the hour for only 60 minutes. He's a 60-minute man. Then he has a cooling-off period of one hour before he can take another pill and have these powers for an hour. So his um, his abilities tremendously wax and wane like that as he consumes pills. As I spoke last episode about this also, I believe that that ultimately uh, over multiple creators will become a downfall of his. This ingestion of this chemical that he uses, I think, will ultimately adversely affect him. But that's quite a ways in the future. This is, what, 1965? And we're looking at, I don't know, probably the 1990s or maybe the 2000s. So Rex is good for about 40, 45 years before the true effects of this pill start knocking him down. He goes to the bank, talks with the bank 
manager. Bank manager gives him the newspaper that everybody was so tremendously interested in. Rex checks it out, can't find anything, but he does track down that it came from a particular newsstand. And uh, with the newspaper and a description of the man who owned it, the 60-minute superhero visits a corner newsstand, and the operator of the newsstand tells him, sure, I remember the guy that bought it. That just, that kind of blows my mind. Because he came in a red foreign car, a Mercedes Bentley. Now, of course, you're going to remember the Bentley, and and you may remember, you know, who it was that was driving the Bentley. But I would think in 1965, which I believe this is contemporaneous with when it was written, uh, the, the era depicted I would think that business was a little bit more brisk than that and that, you know, it was just another face. Um, And until maybe you saw the face and you would recognize, oh, yeah, you drive that red Bentley. Well, anyways, it, it just struck me as kind of convenient, shall we say. So Rex goes on and this is where he starts leaping about, uh, making it look like he's flying. After his first jump, we see a clock here appear in the panels. Clock that will track the amount of time that he has available for his super hour. And in three panels, he has used up 29 minutes as he's searching for this Bentley. Finally, he does see it, finds it at a museum. Yes, an open air museum. Several other thugs and Bentley, as Bentley, yeah, excuse me, they're in a Bentley. But Roger is there, the psycho pirate. So they're trying to hijack some of this art. It's an open-air museum. And our man interrupts them and starts beating up the bad guys and taking them out, you know, in his own ways, one by one. Causes them to run off, jump in the car, try to escape in the car. But our man grabs the car and flips it over. One of the first people that our man knocked out was... um, Psycho Pirate, Roger, Roger. And so he doesn't realize that as this dude is coming to, that he he puts on, quote-unquote, a mask that is friendly. I'm Again, I'm, I'm not sure what a friendly mask is supposed to look like, but okay. And he friendly zaps our man to being nice to him, helping him up, helping move the art into the getaway vehicles, and allowing the vehicles to get away. Um, you know, so ultimately... You know, our man was um, psionically dosed, as it were. Soon after, Dr. Fate drops in. Having watched everything ultimately transpire, he, he chose to let it go in that once the bad guys and the psycho pirate left, he would be able to follow them back to their lair. So rather than intervening, perhaps helping Iron uh, Iron Iron Man? Wow. Um, our man out, he let him be used that way. Let him get defeated. Let the bad guys go because it was all for the greater good, of course. So now Dr. Fate is uh, flying with our man, who is down to 10, 7 minutes left. He only has 7 super minutes left. As they have tracked down Psycho Pirate to his house, they infiltrate the house uh, by way of a couple really cool magical drill bits that drill into the house from the roof through the roof and they are contained inside the drill bits the drill bits are giant magical constructs that make the holes and then of course they're inside safe and by dissipating the drill bits when they get inside poof they appear Uh, some of the thugs are waiting for them weapons in hand which include a knitting needle a water gun a pizza and a hand fan yeah we'll we'll find out here in a minute so they think that they're going to have easy pickings here, but Psycho Pirate flips on his psionic phobia face mask. Now, I guess that's fear. Uh, I, a fear, a, a mask that emotes fear, I can understand. I could I could recognize that. The friendly still kind of befuddles me. I don't know. 
I guess because I've never seen a friendly person. I don't know. But So, uh, using the fear mask, he starts inflicting phobias on Dr. Fate and our man. First, Dr. Fate suffers from aerophobia, which is a fear of air currents, so the thug holding the hand fan scares him. Our man is affected by hydrophobia, which is a fear of water, so he is attacked by the thug with the water gun. Uh, eight seconds later, which um, we are actually Rex is out of time. He is he is past his he's in his cooldown phase here. As a matter of fact, uh, next Doctor Fate is attacked with cytophobia, which is a fear of food. So the pizza wielding thug attacks him next, and our man is stricken by eichmophobia, E-I-C-H, uh, which is the fear of pointed object. So, of course, the uh, darning needle, the knitting needle, is used as the weapon of choice there. Now, as Dr. Fate and our man, our R, shrinking away because, you know, they're just overcome with fear of these particular things, Roger feels that he is defeated. But actually, in the midst of this, Dr. Fate, who everybody is convinced that he's being affected, but truly we find out he was not because he turns on the two men trying to induce fear in our man and attacks them, which breaks the fear spell over our man, and he in turn attacks the two men who are trying to evoke fear in Dr. Fate, which it turns out wasn't working to begin with. But we don't know that until... After the ho-ho-ho chum, uh, it's a good part of the story at the very end here. But So they, they switch partners here. Dr. Fate attacks the thug who were waylaying our man. Our man attacks the thugs who were waylaying Dr. Fate. Uh, needless to say, they were very successful because the, the attacks were very specific for those two. And in switching dance partners, they succeeded quite well. One last ploy here. Roger opens up a curtain that is covering all the masks that he does have hanging in that framed place that I thought they were ultimately going to go. Um, that is the exact spot you can see by some other objects here in the room that that's what that was. It was He was readying a display case and just hadn't put the masks on display yet, but now they are. And he releases all of their energies at one time, basically. And so now the emotion of, I believe, Jealousy, yes, affects both men. And so they start laying into each other analog, not using their power. But still, let's keep in mind that, well, we'll find out later that Dr. Fate is not affected by this. He is playing a part based on what he is seeing our man do, which he knows is going to be okay because he knows via the hourglass on our man's chest that his superpower hour, wow, has run out. And so it's okay to power down and go against him hand-to-hand in this fakery of doing what Psycho Pirate expects to do. So they have stopped now as they are emotionally drained, or so Psycho Pirate think. He takes out our man, who is weakened, but in turn is taken out by Dr. Fate, who had been faking it. He was just a big faker. And so they get into some fisticuffs. Dr. Fate defeats him, puts on a very plain pseudo-mask to hide the features of his real face so that he can't emote these emotions and, and mess with anybody anymore. And then we go through that section about you know, well, Dr. Fate, how were you able to do it? And uh, where he explains what I was saying as I was going through in, in real time. Dr. Fate was never affected because he knew that the, um, what is it, the amygdala or the epididymis or wherever emotions are, th- the hypothalamus uh, and septal region of the brain is where emotions come from. And Dr. Fate was controlling his because he knew that was the specific 
part of his body. And so with his uh, match, he was able to control it. And so he did not succumb initially to the bad guys wielding the pizza and the fan. He did not succumb to jealousy when the psycho pirate attempted to emote that onto both of them. So he always had a clear mind. Time he dropped into psycho pirate's house, he was of clear mind and it was all part of a plan that he had. So, you know, all good things. We beat the bad guys, yada yada here. Wendy, she's all happy because Roger was able to defeat the bad guys and explain to her to where she understood what had happened to her. He tells her that he's our man. She doesn't seem to even blink at that. I don't know, maybe she already knew or something. Who knows? All I care about really is that you're going to be my husband 24 hours a day, she says. And of course, you know, 24 hours is some uh, oblique allusion to our, which is our man's power. Yeah. Yeah. And so then we have the end. Uh, No cool text pieces here. Uh, Not even any letter pages in the reprint that I've got. So unfortunate. So there is the end of showcase uh, the first volume, the 1956 volume, issue 55 and 50 or issue 56. Um, I do want to say that issues 55 and 56, these two team-up issues of Showcase, are some of the more enjoyable Dr. Fate stories that I have read from the very beginning. Um, Those Golden Age stories are shorter, but at times they're a little difficult. Um, There is four... A variety of reasons, I'm sure. There are just typically significant plot holes that never get filled. They're just left dangling. The story is done. You put down the book and you pick up the next issue. You know, it's just uh, there is a little bit of continuity there, but not necessarily a whole lot. Um, so, but these these two issues with Our Man, Dr. Fate, the Psycho Pirate, uh, Green Lantern, Solomon Grundy, all, all of this just really, I guess because of my previous experience with the Justice Society, it, these two stories from Showcase just really seem to have that Justice Society feeling. Um, now, again, you know, if you've listened to the show, you know that I read the All-Star comics uh, from the Golden Age that had Dr. Fate. Some of those were okay. Um, I did like previously, you know, with a big group, the way that the group would break up. You would see an, an adventure with each hero with book ending, start the story, sum up the story chapters. Uh, I did like that format um, much more so. I mean, they, they tried it a little bit in the first team up between the JLA and the JSA. wasn't quite as successful. It wasn't as uh, blatantly done that that's what they were doing. You know, they left out some parts and just said, well, this is what happened rather than showing you as part of the story. Um, I do understand that the contemporary, uh, not even contemporary, but the uh, first JLA, JSA team-ups were at a time period much later. And so the format of the books was much different. But all of that having been said or just promptly ignored by you guys, whichever, I really have enjoyed this issues 55 and 56 of Showcase. I wish there were more of these. There's not here. That being said, the next book that I am going to look at is the 1996 volume of Showcase, Showcase 96, issue four. And actually, I believe after that, issue five, they have a a story in the two of them. uh, I believe it's a continuation story between Dr. Fate and the um, Starman villain, Um, the Shadow or, yeah, I can't recall what his name is, but it's it's a two-part story in those two issues. And then after that, I believe we'll get into an, the next JLA-JSA team-up from Justice League Volume 1, uh, issues 28, uh, 
29 and 30. So a couple issues of a new volume of Showcase and then back to that ongoing of the JLA, JSA team-ups. Those are probably the next several episodes. Several months from now, the next episode, a month from now, Showcase 96, issue four. I'll talk to you guys then. Ciao.